0: This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, a heartbreaker in Denver sends the Roughnecks to Saskatoon. We'll hear from both Kurt Miloski and Derek Keenan. The Nighthawks were never in doubt, and they'll head south to Georgia. The divisional finals are set, but who wouldn't have wanted to see two of three in the semifinals? And the immediacy of the season being over hits hard. All that more on OTCB. What's going on, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud, NLL Radio, and iTunes. My name is Teddy Jenner. Thank you for stopping by. Teddy.Jenner at gmail.com is the email, where you can find me on Twitter where I spend far too much time at Off the Crossbar. Well, I truly am still in shock. And I have so many thoughts about the Calgary-Colorado game. I'll get into many of them as the show goes on. I might even just break into a thought on a random tangent. However, that was one of the most gut-wrenching losses I've seen a team have in a while. And it was weird because when I was in the locker room after the game, it's almost as if the guys in the room couldn't truly believe that it happened and that it happened again. And there was just this weird feeling in that dressing room. And I felt for every single one of those guys. That is just an absolute heartbreaking way to go out, to have it in your grasp, and then to slowly see it slip away and then to have it again. And then to just the trading of leads in that fourth quarter was crazy. And like I said, we're gonna I'm gonna get into some more of it in depth a little bit later on the show, but it that's why I kind of said off the top, wouldn't you have loved to have seen a best two of three in both series? Cause while Rochester seemed to have complete control of that game. It obviously wasn't New England's best. I think if you give them another shot, they go back to the casino and they force a game three. We'll get into that game a little bit later as well. As mentioned, Kurt Miloski, Derek Keenan, we'll stop by the show. The two opposing coaches in the West final, two guys that know each other quite well, not just from NLL coaching, but also from their days of coaching junior. Jammer with the Whitby Warriors and, of course, Kurt with the Coquitlam Adnacks, They had some hearty battles in national championships, so this is a very familiar scene for both of those gentlemen. So we'll talk to them. We'll figure out what Kurt Miloski feels is the secret to beating Colorado, and we'll also ask Derek Keenan what the secret is to beating Calgary. The West Final goes Sunday, May 13th, Calgary at Saskatchewan, 7 p.m. Eastern time, 5 p.m. local. Saturday, Rochester goes to the heart of Georgia to take on the defending champs, the Georgia Swarm, 7.05 p.m. Eastern, 7.05 p.m. local time. And for those of you that were wondering, yes, the games will not only be on NLL TV, but they will also be on Twitter as the National Lacrosse League sent out a media advisory today with current playoff seedings and the final scenarios uh, for games in the National Lacrosse League Cup Finals, where they may be, who will be hosting when and where, but also that the games not only will be on NLTV, but the division finals and finals will be simulcast on Twitter. Brendan Glasheen and Brian Shanahan will have the call both from Saskatoon and from Georgia. That's going to be a heck of a travel day, I would imagine, this weekend for those guys. Down in Georgia Saturday night, have to travel most likely Georgia to Toronto and then Toronto to, uh, to Saskatoon all in time for a 5 o'clock face-off. That is going to be a long day than to have to call the Rush and Roughnecks. I envy them, yet I don't. Because wouldn't we all love to call both of those lacrosse games? Uh, On a whim, I'm going to take Georgia and the Roughnecks. Don't at me. That's just what I'm going to do. And when you take a look at the media advisory that the National Lacrosse League sent out of the four different scenarios of the finals, three possible Sunday games. Game two, if it's Georgia and Saskatchewan, that'd be down in Georgia. Game three, between Calgary and Georgia, if necessary, that would also be in Georgia. And game one, between Calgary and Rochester, if it happened, would indeed be a Sunday game. And also something that's rather curious is that if it is starting in the East, Georgia or Rochester, it'll start the weekend of the 19th. If Saskatchewan is hosting... Then it starts the week later on the 26th. So obviously there is some arena conflicts in Saskatoon at SaskTel that wouldn't allow Saskatoon to host that first weekend. Therefore, it would get pushed back a week. So if it went all the way to three games, the final game would be on June 9th. If either Georgia or Rochester hosts, meaning Calgary beats Saskatchewan, it would end on either the second or third of June. So if you're planning some travel days, there you go. It's either going to start the 19th or 20th in the East or the 26th in Saskatoon. Book your travel dates accordingly. Before we get too much further into the show, two things uh, I want to point your attention to. One, if you haven't read Evan Schemenauer's post um, on Lax All Stars this week and you're wanting to know the updated status on the whole Team Canada. CLA fiasco. Uh, Go check it out. It's a solid read. He brings up some great points. And for all I know, um, no Canadian player has signed on to play for Team Canada. So now I guess it's up to the CLA to go find some scabs. Good luck. Hashtag, I'm with Gary. The other thing I would like to bring to attention was a great tweet that I saw today from Graham and his side account... NLL fact of the day, this is the first time that both Toronto and Buffalo have missed the playoffs. Now that is crazy. I love fun facts like that. They make me giggle inside. So let's focus on the East first because I have a lot of stuff that I want to get to uh, with the Mammoth and Roughnecks game and I feel that if I go too long, then I won't give the East game, the just-do that it deserves. And when you go back and look at that game, it really was the start for the Rochester Nighthawks that gave them the boost. And who would have expected? I mean, come on. If he had to pick a name out of the hat to score the first two goals for the Nighthawks and to score four goals in the half, who wouldn't have picked Austin Shanks?
1: Their first offensive set, the rookie, Shanks, in on goal, he shoots and scores! Austin Shanks, his first playoff shot, his first playoff goal, one nothing. Hey, Craig, we talked about Rochester getting off to a fast start, getting a couple goals early. This is a great start. Shanks in transition, late picking him up. He just shoots it right around the hip of the defender. Aaron Bold was completely screened on this. Dylan Evans. Try to come up at the last minute to cover Shanks. Shanks put it right around his hip for the goal. An excellent job for Rochester. Now they need to build off of this and continue to get that momentum and get this crowd into it.
0: Rookie Austin Shanks scored on his first shot of the game, a buck 06 into the contest. He would score three minutes later and then three and a half minutes after that to score a hat trick within the first eight minutes, and Rochester was up 4-0. And New England never stood a chance after that. Rochester controlled the tempo of the game. They controlled the pace. They dictated everywhere they wanted New England to go, all over the floor. Aaron Bold, as much as I'm a huge fan, he wasn't on in the first half. He was guessing. He was dropping. He was just uncomfortable between the posts. And Rochester took advantage of that. And then when Austin Shanks capped off his half against Doug Jamison, you really could see the writing on the wall. The Nighthawks
1: will keep five on the floor. Shanks from the right wing. He shoots and scores! Austin Shanks is fourth of the night. Austin Shanks got the scoring started. He's got the score ending for now in the first half. Rochester with six unanswered goals. Here's Shanks. Gets the screen in front. Gets the opportunity. Take a look at it. Once again, you can see the the Black Wolves. They're all just standing around. And Shanks decides, hey, if Terrace is going to shield my defender for me, I'm going to go take the shot.
0: Take his shot indeed. And Austin Shanks scored with 14 seconds left in the half, giving him four in the half. And he'd pretty much take the second half off. Not exactly, but he wouldn't register any points the rest of the game. However, that put them up 11-4 at the half. Now, credit New England, they did everything they could in that third quarter to get back. Unfortunately, the gap was too big. And it's a gap that, unfortunately, Colorado wasn't able to widen where Rochester was. And that... Seven-goal lead going into the half was so crucial because New England outscored Rochester 7-4 in the second half, but it wasn't enough. Rochester was too strong all game long, and they flexed their muscle. They didn't take a penalty all night, and Matt Vince was steady as she goes. You couldn't blame Glenn Clark for going back to Aaron Bull to start the second half, let his goaltender refresh and resettle, and he did a great job in that second half doing everything he could as a goaltender should uh, to help his team get back in that game. But again, the lead was just too big and too big of a mountain for the Black Wolves to climb. And their season comes to an end. And it will begin a very interesting offseason for the Black Wolves with everything going on involving expansion and some of the players that are on that New England roster and some of the free agents that they have. I wonder what this group looks like next fall when camps open up. There's going to be some turnover. Much like every team, there will be turnover due to expansion. But I'm sure that's the farthest thing from the minds Of the players on the New England Black Wolves roster who would love one more shot. Who would love to be able to say, you know what? Let's forget about that game this weekend. Let's play game two. And let's send this series to a third game. No, I don't want a mini game. I want a true third game. Unfortunately, that's not where we're at right now in the National Lacrosse League. And the road to the NLL Cup. First two rounds are one game. So for the Rochester Nighthawks, that one game will be with the Georgia Swarm, a team they have quite a familiar track record against, a team they are quite evenly matched up with, actually, when you look on paper. And I think this is going to be a fantastic lacrosse game. And I don't know if it's going to be a shootout or if it's going to be a low-scoring affair. I'm still on the fence with that one. But I really do like Georgia coming out on top. Even though both these teams went into the playoffs on hot streaks. I just think Georgia is the better team right now. And the week off will give them a little bit of extra advantage. And a little more rest allows the legs to be that much fresher. And I see the Georgia Swarm coming out on top and advancing to their second straight finals. Now. Let's go out west. And in that game Saturday night, there were numerous times where I thought, you know what, this is the year the Mammoth are going to slay the Dragon and they're going to climb the mountain and defeat the Roughnecks in the playoffs. They kind of got over that first round hump last year when they knocked off Vancouver and then fell to Saskatchewan in two games in the West Final. There was that little hump. To get to that second round, that was huge. But it wasn't against Calgary. And so this year, they got matched up with the Roughnecks again. Everybody knows the history going into the game. Everybody's saying, you know what? Calgary didn't make the playoffs last year. These two teams are totally different. We don't think the rivalry is really there. But it's got to be there. That little feeling has to be in the back of your head on both sides that this is a monumental task for Colorado to get over mentally. Then when Dane Dolby scored a buck 30 into the contest, he kind of quickly took the air out and everybody kind of gasped and was like, uh-oh, really? But then the offense started to roll. Keo tied it up. Benny and Rue back-to-back back a minute and a half apart. Took us to the end of the first 3-1. And then they kept on rolling. And they built the lead to 5-1. And then Eli McLaughlin scored a shorthanded goal, and everything seemed right. 13 on the shot clock, 50 on the penalty. Rue, backside cup, McLaughlin takes it, scores! What an cut from Eli McLaughlin! And it's a 5 goal lead! It's a shorthanded goal, and it's 6-1 Colorado.
2: Well, one of the difference makers last week, Teddy, was the four shorthanded goals that the Colorado Mammoth put up, and we saw Big Laughlin score one of those. Very similar here. This catch the, the Roughnecks defense, sleeping off ball, has a presence of mind and just cut hard to the cage. Brouet sees him, and the kid makes no mistake, puts it around Christian Bianco.
0: It was Colorado's fifth shorthanded goal in two games. They'd scored four against Toronto the week before, and Eli McLaughlin was in on that parade, and he does it again Saturday night, and it gave the Mammoth a five-goal lead at 6-1. Sure, Curtis Dixon and Dane Doby would bookend a goal by Jeremy Noble, and they would go into the half with the Mammoth leading by four, seven to three. And if you go back to the Rochester-New England game, I said Rochester had a Big enough lead. They were up seven. Unfortunately for Colorado, the lead just wasn't big enough. Now, they come out for the second half. Curtis Dixon gets a penalty shot 15 seconds in. It hits the post. And I think to myself, okay, this is the year. Things are starting to go Colorado's way. But the composure... And the belief in that Roughnecks locker room stayed strong the entire game. Kurt Miloski said it best in one of his post-game clips when he was talking about the message that he sent to the guys at halftime. He said, we're just four shots away from tying it. And that is a wonderful way to think about it. You don't have to say, guys... We got to do everything we can to claw back. We're just four shots away, and we have 30 minutes. Plenty of time. And within the blink of an eye, a four-goal lead was chipped down to one, five and a half minutes into the third quarter. Zach Greer would make it a two-goal game, and everything, again, seemed, okay, we stopped the run. Greerzo scores a power play goal. We're back up by two. And then Berg, Dobie, Katoni, score in two minutes and ten seconds. And all of a sudden, what was a four-goal lead is now a one-goal deficit. And if it's not for Ryan Banesh's goal with ten seconds left in the third, I might have then thought the game was over. But no, Benny's goal reinstilled my belief that this was going to be the year. And then the fourth quarter happened, and the team started to trade. And once they did, you could never really catch your breath. Dixon opened it two minutes into the fourth. Then three minutes later, Greer and Noble went back to back within about thirty seconds to restore the Colorado lead. Dane Doby would tie it at seven oh nine. Jacob Rue would give Colorado their last lead with about six minutes to go. And the place was bananas. And again, that little part of me felt, okay, Colorado's defense is always airtight in the fourth. D Ward and the boys always find a way to shut the door and hold on to leads. But sometimes the cards just truly do not fall your way. And when Dane Dobie scored an incredible acrobatic falling to the ground goal at 10:35 to tie it you could almost see it it was the switch and i know a lot of people won't put in put a lot of thought into the psychology of this whole rivalry and the fact that at some point the seed of doubt within the mammoth minds had to be there and the seed of belief within the mammoth, or sorry, within the roughnecks' minds had to be there. And so now it's 12 12 with a running clock under four minutes, and everybody is on the edge of their seat. Every shot is anticipated with bated breath, every loose ball is huge, every reset is massive, and every goal could be the decider. Tony around the top, takes a shot. That hit a helmet, never made it on target. Digby, down low, Dixon scores! Dixon got lost behind the net, came around the top with speed, and his hat-trick marker gives the Roughnecks a lead late here with 2.43 to go. Robert Holt there, you're so afraid you want to prevent Dixon from getting the ball behind the net, got caught up a little bit. That goal from Curtis Dixon with just over two minutes remaining would be the game winner. He would add the dagger of an empty net moments after that, and then one more empty netter would seal it. The empty netter, the second empty netter, was actually an own goal, which I'm going to get to in a minute. The Dixon play on the game winner is the one that I scratched my head about during the broadcast, and John Gallant and I talked about it at length after the broadcast. And it's one of just positioning. And Robert Hope is one of the most reliable defenders in all of lacrosse. I will take him every day on my team twice on Sundays. Uh, He's going to be in the running for Defender of the Year, could even win it. And has done everything the Mammoth have asked him to do all year long. And I just wonder why he went the way that he did to chase Curtis Dixon. And maybe that's what they wanted to do. I just don't think you should ever let Curtis Dixon come running out from behind the net on his strong side. If Hope is on his strong side of the floor for Dixon and the pass from Digby goes... Curtis behind the net, really the only option Curtis would have then would be to either dunk it from the opposite side or come out on his wrong side. But unfortunately, Hopey chased behind the net, forcing Curtis out of on his strong side and the rest is history. It is another heartbreaking defeat at the hands of the Roughnecks for the Mammoth. That makes it eight in a row since 2006 and another off-season of wondering what could have been. It stings. I'm still in shock, and I know everybody within that Mammoth organization are because they had it. But, and it's a big but, but the Calgary Roughnecks never panicked. They stayed their course and they realized that the shots were going to fall. Christian Del Bianco made the saves he was going to have to make in order to keep that game close. At half, that game could have been a lot more wide open than 7 4. The lead could have been 11, or sorry, could have been seven at halftime if it wasn't for Christian Del Bianco. He allowed his team to withstand the barrage get to halftime, drink a couple mini-jugs, fill up their health bars, and come out recharged for that second half. And, yeah, Kurt Miloski made some adjustments. Their offense became ultra-patient. And that was one of the things that I noticed the most, was that they didn't all of a sudden go to the fact of, hey, we got to hurry up and get this game back to Tide. And it was going back to Miloski's, quote, post game. They were just four shots away. There was no need to panic. And that offense became so methodical and so patient that it just took Colorado away from its aggressive defense and it caused them problems. And at the end of the day, the hunger inside that Roughnecks locker room and the determination to win was that much stronger and in the end they got the bounces and the balls to fall their way and they advance to the NLL West Division Finals in those finals they will play the Saskatchewan Rush the Evil Rush their Prairie Brethren team that they used to own for many a year when the Rush were based in Edmonton now the tides have turned And the two coaches that will lead their teams into battle are very, very familiar with each other. We're going to start with Kurt Miloski because he and I will talk about some of the things that happened in that Colorado game. And you'll get a little insight from him on some of the things that he saw from his perspective on the bench. Then we'll flip sides and we'll go to Saskatchewan. We'll talk to Derek Keenan. He had a firsthand experience of watching the Colorado-Calgary game. So we'll ask him what he saw. But we'll also ask him, how come the rush have had Calgary's number as of late. But first, Mouse, the Calgary Roughnecks head coach who has his team on the brink of going back to the NLL Finals the first time since the 2014 season when they lost in a mini-game to Rochester and had their own hearts broken. So Mouse and I talk many of things, but first up, I get his thoughts on what was another classic Mammoth Roughnecks playoff game.
3: Yeah, you know what? That's uh, that one's that's one heck of a team over there, and it was uh, it was a great game right down to late in the fourth quarter, back and forth, back and forth. So I think you know the fans got their money's worth, and you know it was a good, it was a good product to put on the floor for a playoff game. Uh, I guess the obvious question is, how can you guys always beat Colorado in the playoffs? Well, you know we it's it changes year to year. Like the personnel is so different, and like Pat Coyle said, we didn't even make the playoffs last year. So yeah. you know we're a whole we're a whole different whole different group of guys and they're a whole different group of guys. So like, I don't put, we put zero stock into the, uh in, into that record. And we were just, you know, it was our group against our group and we're playing in the moment. So, you know, it's, it's, it just happens to be luck. I'd say, and, you know, two good organizations battling and, you know, this, it's a, you come up on the, on the one side of a one goal game sometimes, sometimes you don't and, you know, so there's no, nothing really to it. I don't think.
2: But do you think
3: as that game went on and you guys
2: started to come back in that game, not only did your team's confidence build, but
3: maybe some seeds of doubt started to flourish in the Colorado mind. Yeah, you know I, I can't really comment on them, but you know from yeah. our perspective, we'd like to think that possibly that that was the case. But as far as us us getting the confidence, you know we're we're a battle-tested team. We're a hard Absolutely. team now. That the fact you know we're win eight and ten throughout the season, and we had to fight in the blood and the beer all year, and you know that's got to count for something. And, uh, you know, so we like to think we're battle tested and, and, you know, as as the game got tougher and tougher, we seemed to get better and better. And not to say that they didn't, but you know, maybe that doubt did creep into their minds. I, I can't really comment, but it's yeah. a possibility.
2: Dane Dobie was sharp from the first whistle to the last. How impressed were you with his ability to step up in the big
3: moment? You know what? Teddy, you know how big of a fan I am of Dane Doby. Mm-hmm. I had him out here when he was 19 years old in Burnaby and, you know, we've been together ever since. And, and, you know, its he's just a special player. You know, the bigger the moment, the better he is. And, you know, i he, he you know he, he, he grew under uh, Josh Anderson and, you know, some Tracy Klusky and some of those guys back in the day when we were all playing together. And he picked up a lot of those traits that, you know, when it's time to step up, you know, uh, well done is better than well said. And, and Gobs is a big part of that. And, you know, we don't have a six goals. We don't win that game. So, you know, he had a great game and, and it was at the right time. And he knew he had to step up and it was, it was big for us
2: absolutely he was and i know you're not going to reveal what was said in the locker room cuz you'll keep that between yourselves but how important was it for your leadership group to step up and really lead the charge
3: and start the charge uh when the third quarter began you know we you know we we made some leadership changes early in the year this year and uh, mm-hmm. and you know the guys that are in in those in those positions are are guys that are you know not only well respected on and off the floor, but they're they're game breakers. And you know when your best players and your leaders can be their best players and make it, and everyone else follows the lead of them on the floor. It's you know it's a good cocktail for us. And you know you know Dixon you know Dixon's you know he's not just a guy because he's been here long enough. He's a true leader because he plays he plays real well on the floor. And you know the guys respect him off the floor and and you know respect his game on the floor. So his game's really evolved. And you know I could speak for hours about Danny McRae and you got. You got that warrior mentality in Greg Harnett. Like, how do you not follow that? He's standing in front of shots. He's just running around hitting everything that moves. And, you know, he just he just refuses to lose. You know, and then we've already touched on Dylan Dobbs. So, you know, when you put a leadership group together like that and, you know, they got the ear of the whole room and everyone just follows, It's uh, like I said, it's a, it's a successful a- effort by everyone.
2: Have you ever seen uh, a situation like Zach Greer's two goals where he scored deflected off
3: defender's stick short side on Delp's? No, you know, I, I said to Delves after the game, maybe we should practice some tip drills. You know, <laughs> next practice, we should go. But, you know, it, it, it's funny. It just, you know, it was it was a game where, like, those goals could be backbreakers. But, yeah. you know, the first one, yeah, I was a bit lucky, and we talked about it in the room. And, and then the next, and then late, later in the fourth quarter, there, the second one by Greer, you know, Delves kind of looked at me, I looked at him, and we were actually smiling and laughing because there's nothing he <laughs> could do about it. And, yeah. You know, and when, you know, and then everyone looks down and they see Delves laughing and, you know, this 20-, 20, 21-year-old kids just laughing in the mat, You know, everyone's like, he's not worried about it. Why should we be? So yeah. it was it was kind of a neat little moment in the game within the game.
2: You, you talk about his youth, and he has championship experience maybe more than a lot of guys in the National crossing. maybe not NLL championships, but junior and, and intermediate and all the, the battles that he's gone through and that you've seen him gone through personally. How much has his character changed?
3: over this year just by playing so much you know he's always been a he's always been a confident guy I think his biggest thing is his mental fortitude and mm-hmm. that's something that he's always had and you know that's something that that goes with you no matter what level you're playing at and he has that ability you know on a Wednesday night in Coquellum to to play you know lights out with that with that mental fortitude and he had it, he had it on the weekend and you know you know when when things don't rattle him and our guys just gain confidence and, and the, the better he is that, the more confidence we are, and you know, at the end of the day, he just goes out and has fun. There's zero expectation on on Christian Del Bianco. He's still a young guy finding his way, but you know, he's a, he's a big he's become a big part of our team, and you know, that doesn't go you know hand in hand without having a guy like Frank kind of mentor mm-hmm. him. Being there, you know, that's a really good combination. We've got with two young boys, so you know, both of those guys work well together with us, and you know, and Christian's you know, calming influence on, out there is is huge for us. So you know, like I said, no pressure on him. He just goes out and has fun and stops the ones that, that he's supposed to. And I think the big part of that game was, you know, Colorado would, you know, you guys would get a goal and, and go up by one, and he gave us ability to not let you guys have two, and we could die, mm-hmm. and you go up again, and just he just wouldn't break. He just wouldn't give that, that opportunity. And then, you know, our, our group is pretty resilient up front, and we were fortunate to get one late, and then a couple empty netters. So, you know, it was a good game for him all the way around.
2: Now comes the Saskatchewan rush, the the thorn in everybody's side in the West Division. What's the mentality going into this game against a team that? has had your number over the years
3: well i'd be lying if i didn't look at them like they're Goliath. it's pretty it's pretty tough you know they're they're mm-hmm. the, the best in the business and they, they've proven it year after year after. so you know we're gonna have our work cut out for us you know there's some things that that seem to happen there's trends that seem to happen game after game after game when we play them so you know i think maybe we gotta we gotta focus on on, on something like that that can Kind of change things. If we continue to do the same things we've done year after year against them, we'll end up being on the wrong side of the scoreboard. So we're going to have to try to figure out some things that we can play maybe a bit different and try to capitalize on certain situations. But you know, not to tip my hands too much. There, they're, they're a well-rounded team. You know, we yeah. we have, we have, we have to play our absolute best for us to be successful. But you know, that being said, our, we we've got a lot of confidence, and like I said, we're battle-tested. And we're a hardened team, and you know, the guys are excited to get there, and it's, it's a big challenge, no question. But. You know, anything can happen in a one game.
2: One thing I noticed in the game against Colorado is that while both teams are really strong in transition, we didn't see a lot of true transition chances because both teams were very defensively responsible. How do you get that kickstart against Saskatchewan?
3: I think you just got to manage your possessions, and then it's, it's where and when you take your shots. You know, sometimes yeah. the, sometimes the best shot is no shot, and we have to be disciplined. Like if you watch Colorado, um, sorry Saskatchewan's game, they're they're disciplined in all aspects. When there's a lacrosse IQ decision to be made, they make it. When there's a veteran guy who pulls the ball out, they make it. When someone's got to take a, a punch in the chin, they take it. You know, and, and we need to we need to be the same way. And and that's and that's a big part of just being. You know, I talk about mental discipline, and that's a, that's a big part of uh, you know getting to the championship game is is being tough mentally and being disciplined mentally. And you know, you can you can spawn off of that and start talking about systematic discipline. But yeah. you know, for the for the most part, it's got to be between the ears for sure.
2: You think. The home court advantage is going to come into play on Sunday.
3: You know what, Denny, it, it it's got it's got zero relevance on us because the game is going to be played on Sunday night at five o'clock in Saskatchewan. So for us to say, oh, we're playing in their rink, we're in trouble. It's just it's just wasted energy. All that would do would add pressure. And I'm a firm believer: of pressure is something that you put on yourself. So our guys are loose. We're just going to show up and play. And you know, I can't guarantee anything except that you know, come five o'clock, we'll show up there. We'll be ready to. We'll be ready to go. We'll see what happens.
2: Let's take a look at the Eastern Division. Uh, it was a, a crazy, crazy National Lacrosse League East Division from the first game to the last. Um, from an outsider's perspective, how
3: fun is it just to watch those teams battle all year long? Yeah, you know what? It's, the parity in the NLL is great. It's great. great for the league. It's it's great for you know uh, potential uh, expansion teams looking in and saying, you know what, maybe we can make a run at this year one. So you know, I think I think having that parity in the East and the battle all the way through kept the fans engaged right to the last weekend and. You know they got they got a they got a different style across in the east. They play it a little different than we do out here in the west. But it's you know all in all, it's a great product. And I thought you know just having that parity is is a big part of selling our league. And you know great great coaching back there, great players, and you Mm -hmm. know the the NLLs you know moving in a great direction moving forward.
2: Who do you think comes out of that Eastern
3: final between Georgia and Rock? Katie, I'm not going to touch that one. (laughs) (laughs) I I really don't, you know, our focus is fully on Saskatchewan and, you know, there's two great teams there. And, uh, you know, if, 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 if we were yet by Saskatchewan, we'll look at it at that point, but yeah, it's going to be a battle either way out there. Fair enough, my friend. Um,
2: before we let you go, obviously sad news uh, in the lacrosse world a couple weeks ago when we lost the great, uh, Les Wingrove, you and him were as close as any two people that I've seen, um, through your times with the, the Mad Max and, and and just lacrosse in general, how much did Les mean to you as a person, as a father figure, and as a lacrosse friend?
3: You know, I I, I don't think words you know, do him justice. He was exactly that. He was he was a great friend. He was a mentor. Uh, you know, he was he was a father figure. You know, he taught me a lot on and off the floor. You know, we were fortunate enough to win a man cup in two thousand and one,
4: mm-hmm. and I really leaned
3: on Les. You know I lean on Les with my I've said it before with my tight team, and he'd always have the right answer. I lean on him with the pro, team, and he always has the right answer and uh you know you see a guy that you know everyone Les is known for, for for saying a lot of things and a lot of words, but he was a great listener. he was a loyal guy, he screamed character and you know it it, it was a it was a, it was a very sad day it was over in with Joanne and, and uh Craig yesterday, and it was really mm-hmm. tough being over there and but you know it you know everyone's trying to get by, but he, you know. I know, I know, I know that uh, I know he's up there watching, and, and I think mm-hmm. he had a hand in that game on the weekend. And and uh, you know, it's going to be tougher than this weekend. I'm unable to make the the funeral, and hopefully, I'm going to put something together for him. But I know, I know, I know. Les would say, lacrosse trumps everything, but I'm not too sure if it jumps uh, Saturday afternoon. But yeah. you know, I've trusted him from day one. I'm going to trust him again. So you know, he's going to sorely miss, but he's in our hearts, and we're going to carry on, carry on the legacy and carry on what what he what he started with the junior Adnax and just making our game better and you know i take that full responsibility on and want to do everything i can to make him proud
2: uh, the trevor wingrove memorial tournament's coming up in june uh i'm taking my midget team over there from Juan de Fuca. how much more important do you think that tournament becomes not just to the legacy of the wingrove but
3: just to lacrosse in general you know, I, I think it's huge. To, you know, with the loss of Trevor and, and, and changing it from the dogwood to the Trevor Wingrove was was special. And that was, it was, you know, for, for the people that don't really know the inner circle of left, that was a very, very special tournament dear to his heart. And, you know, all I can say is, you know, us, us older, uh, you know, lacrosse guys that are like yourself, that are given back to the game. You know, if we have a chance to, you know, to say hello to Joanne and and just and to to try to promote that tournament as much as we can. I know Les was real big on getting guys to hand out awards after games. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was really proud of having the Stealth guys there. And you know, if there's anything that all of us can do to try to make this tournament, a, you know, a bigger success than it already is, I think we have to we have to do that because that's something Les would would appreciate. And you know, he he's done so much for us, and I think it's our turn to step up. But yeah, it's it's going to be an emotional emotional tournament. It's a great tournament, and I and I think that's a, one of the ways for a lot of us that. They weren't absolutely ad that were, you know, just the lacrosse community. new asked this, our way to, to, to show, pay homage to him and, and to honor him was to, just to make sure that tournament's a huge success and put our part in when we can.
2: How are you, uh, your young boys doing
3: Oh, they're doing good, Teddy. I got the hurricane in, in first year tyke, and you know spends a little bit of time in the family box here and there. But and uh, yeah, Colden or our Bantam team will be up against it. There, uh, they got some. We got some real good uh, teams coming out of the island and and Coquillum and Langley, and you know we got some real good teams over here. So I think the parity in our Bantam division is going to be great. So yeah, no thanks for asking. Everybody's good that way.
0: There is that's Kurt Milosky, head coach of the Calgary Roughnecks, as he gets set to take his team into Saskatchewan to take on the Rush on Sunday all thanks to a figure skating gala and some country artist named Shania Twain. Never really heard of her, so I'm not sure why The Rush couldn't bump some B-list celebrity. But anyway, The Rush... I'm actually glad it's Sunday and not Thursday. I think that's better for the guys anyway. Uh, A Sunday game will probably be a much better draw than a Thursday game, so I'm sure... It doesn't matter what day it would have been. It could have been a Tuesday 3 o'clock game in the middle of a blizzard and Rush Nation, I'm sure, would be out in full force. But you heard Kurt, you know, talk about his defense and his team's composure and the leadership group that helped really bring that team up. And that's what really can be a deciding factor for this Calgary club is that leadership group. And it's a group that's been there before. It's a group that's been together for quite a long time. But unfortunately, they're going up against a Saskatchewan rush team that pretty much has been intact for the past four or five years. There hasn't been a lot of turnover in Derek Keenan's world as he likes to keep his group as closely knit as possible. Now, he's got Nick Bilk back. They're going to get Brett Midsky back. And their team has really become that much more dynamic with the addition of Dan Dawson And it's always a wonder who's going to play either Dawson, Knight, or Marty Dinsdale. Now, I don't think you'll see Dinsdale out, so it comes down to Knight and Dawson. And if I was a betting man, I would say that Derek Keenan goes with a strong hand and keeps Knight in and lets Dan Dawson, I know it sounds crazy, be a healthy scratch. So, we've heard from Kurt Miloski. Let's hear from his good buddy who will be standing on the other bench at Sastel Center, Derek Keenan. And when he and I caught up, I asked him, how did he enjoy watching Calgary and Colorado go toe-to-toe?
4: I thought Calgary got back to their game in the second half. Um, I thought their shooting plan second half was excellent. They moved the ball really well side-to-side, side and... uh had a lot of time and space I thought. Too much. Colorado gave him a little bit too much time and space in the second half and uh there's just too many dangerous players on that team to allow that amount of time. I thought Colorado did a pretty good job in the first of taking that mm-hmm. away and I, I, I mean probably the difference was that I think Calgary just started playing a little bit harder. They started winning more battles and um, you know, you could kind of see it in the transition game, the loose ball stuff and uh um that became a factor and then And then Calgary's patience on offense, I think, grinded Colorado down a little bit and and started making some shots. Like, Ward Mm -hmm. was really, really good in the first half. And then, uh, you know, they started making some shots. Shot shot the ball extremely well in the second half, I
2: thought. When you watched that game, what did you learn about Calgary that you may have not learned in in watching the previous games? Oh,
4: boy. We we played them so often. And, yeah. uh, you know, they're, they're good. I mean, I, I think first of all, and I've said this for a while now, even going into our last game of the regular probably the last third of the season, they've been one of the top teams in the league without a yeah. Like The first part was, you know, whatever they're finding themselves in that. But I think the last third of the season, they've been excellent. And they were, they were really good against us the last game of the regular season. I thought the other night they... That was really indicative of the team they are they're really good team so nothing really new like you know we kind of of knew what they like to do but they they have guys that are able to make plays and that's the thing and then there's a lot of times you just can't scheme against that you know so um we we know they're they're well coached well prepared but they have some athletes that can make plays and uh
2: you know you got to try and limit that why is it that you guys have had such dominance over calgary in the last few years
4: uh, well, I mean,
2: uh, I, you know, if you really
4: look at it, Teddy, we, we've been a really good team for a long time now. Yeah, and, absolutely. You know, we, we don't lose very often. And, uh, and there was a time not that long ago that it was the other way around when Calgary took a dust every time and we finally mm-hmm. were able to turn that around. And, um, and, and now there's, there's sort of where we were maybe five years ago where, you know, they started to bring in young guys now and they've started to bring in more athleticism and, you know, Curry's been really good for them, and a couple other young guys been really good, and yeah. So there's there's a bit of a transition there, I think, for them. And uh, um, now they're, you know, I think they're they're real close to being back to uh, to being a dominant team again. So we have to try and stay on top of it ourselves. But um, um, you know, we we've had close games with them. I mean, this year the differential, you know, they've been really tight. We had one game that was. I don't know, like a four-goal. I mean, we had an overtime game and a one-goal game. So, yeah. you know, there's not a big difference between us. And uh, um, so I know we're going to have to be really good. I know it's not easy to beat a team four times in a season. So yeah. um, we're going to have to be really, really good on Sunday, without a doubt. Uh,
2: you have seen Christian Del Bianco firsthand during your time mm-hmm. with the Mitchell Cup and the Whippy Warriors. Um, how impressed have you been with his play? Uh, over the last few weeks since he's really earned that number one job yeah. and really solidified himself as one of the top goalies in lacrosse yeah, right now yeah.
4: he's unreal like for a kid yeah. that, that age 20 years old i mean he's very poised very confident he's got i think he's got incredible vision he tracks mm-hmm. the ball really well he's quick um he's he's a little old school right he's not really yeah, big. very Dallas Elliott. Like, exactly i i i like i like the way he makes shades with his stick like That's Dallas like, you know, Dallas, when I had Dallas in Portland, you know, Mm -hmm. I can't believe goalies don't try to make saves with their stick. Well, this guy, he does. And, and if he, and if he does make a save with a stick, you better be prepared to get back because it's going (laughs) the other way awfully quick. Handles the ball really well around his crease. Uh, um, he's athletic, you know, um, passes it very, very well. And, um, there's not a whole lot of weakness to his game. I mean, even you know he he challenges sometimes, but he recovers really well diagonally because he's so quick. Right. So you know quick sticks aren't easy on him, and uh, he's he's real good. I mean he's he's the real deal. So we we'll have to be we'll have to have a real good plan against him and try and execute the best we can and adjust if we need to.
2: You talked about ability to pass the ball, and Mark Matthews has shown that throughout his career, and finally got. A little bit of recognition and getting those 84 assists and breaking Josh Anderson's record for for assists in a season um, is, is that a, an underrated part of his game? Even though he is just at the record, do you think?
4: Um, probably, you know he he's such a great shooter, um, and he's he's another guy that. But I think with Markey, I always say this about Mark. people don't understand what his his makeup is. I think a lot of people don't get that. He could really care less who gets points, goals, assists. It doesn't matter to him. He's yeah. been like that since I had him in junior. He's about winning, and uh, like he could he could have thirteen points in a game. And if they lose, he's going to be pissed. He won't even talk to anybody. So <laughs> you know, it's kind of uh, it's kind of comes with his makeup. You know, and, and this year was just a year that you know he probably didn't score as much but yeah. he may, he's, no matter what he's doing, he seems to always be able to make guys around him better. And, you know, Mark will say it himself, he's got good guys with him, yeah. guys that shoot the ball well, that finish well, that play well together. You know, there's a lot of chemistry in that group, and, uh, you know, he's he's clearly the leader, but there's there's other guys that aren't very far behind him in that department.
2: Would you put Marty Dindale in an underrated category? Big time. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Marty's been great this year. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. A little I mean, talk about a little maintenance guy, just does his job, you know, uh, does a lot of the dirty work, Gets the dirty areas, scores a lot of his goals in those areas, shoots the ball really well. Um, just really, really high IQ understands our offense, uh, probably better than anybody and, mm-hmm. uh, um, quiet goes about his business, you know, always in, in, in great condition. And, uh, um, yeah he is he's he's really a, an underrated guy and uh yeah he's he's been he's been really good this year he's just continued to get better i think every year yeah and, and this year he's he's kind of um taking his game to another level and he doesn't play any power play or anything so, yeah that's, you know, that's it's, crazy. All, it's all five on five and uh i know he's capable and you know and if we need a guy like we're, we're confident in him but he's uh he's he's a real
2: good player Sunday five o'clock face off. Does that favor either of the two teams, you think?
4: I don't know. I, I don't think so. I mean, you know, it's two hours off. It's their regular home game, two and a half half hours. We won't get a shoot around because the arena won't be ready. That would be the only sort of quirk in, in the whole thing, but uh we're we're both practicing on Saturday, I think. So um
2: yeah, I mean, I don't think so really. I don't think it makes a big difference. Uh, I asked Kurt this question. Um, he wasn't very forward in it because he wanted to stay focused on you guys, but watching the East uh, Finals, who do you have coming out of that Rochester-Georgia game? Oh geez.
4: I think both teams are playing really well. Like, uh, you know, I think Georgia's six or seven in a row, six in a row or something like that. Rochester had a little blip at the end of the year there, but they had won a bunch in a row prior mm-hmm. to that. So oh that's a tough call. I mean, both teams teams are playing really well. Um, I like a little bit of the experience of Georgia in there last year. Not that Rochester doesn't have guys that have been there. I mean, yeah. there's still guys left over from the three in a row, um, but they've added a lot of young guys who I think have made them made him a better team. So um, it's it's a it's a coin flip. I mean, you know what? A lot of times it comes down to goaltending and breaks, absolutely, and, and special teams, and you know what you know what Dino brings, and I think everybody knows what Pooley brought last year mm. in the playoffs. So uh, he's capable, that's for sure.
2: Who's an X factor for you guys that's going to have to have a big game on, on Sunday?
4: Um, may not be an X factor, but we certainly need to get saved. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> certainly going to say that Turkey's got to be, got to be good. And, you know, cause they're, they're going to get shots. You yeah, and it's about us sort of, you know, limiting the quality of them and trying to make them go places that they may not necessarily want to. And, and then and then get saves and uh, I would say for also another guy like maybe Jeremy Thompson who, who I thought near the end of the season started to play at the level he's capable of, and and uh, especially our last two or three games so he might be another guy that uh, he, he always seems to rise up in the playoffs and you know um, but I mean we're a good defensive team we're gonna get Minsky back uh, nice. you know we'll
2: have our group and uh, we'll be ready to go. You talk about uh getting mitsky back. How much has the return of Nick Billet uh helped your guys just just, just transition wise, adding a little grit, but just also that mm-hmm. personality that Nick brings to so locker?
4: Yeah. That pretty much describes it. <laughs> personality, <laughs> grit, you know you know moves the ball well up the floor. Yeah. He's been making really good decisions lately. Uh um, you know, is everybody know he's not a big body, but he plays big. Absolutely. You know he, he plays physical and he's athletic. He's able to get out in pressure and and put guys in, in, in uncomfortable positions and uh, and real good guy in the locker room and positive and uh, he's one of those guys that he just he's you know he's has has that air about him that you know everything around him is good and you know and guys it kind of makes guys feel comfortable
2: I think. Before we let you go, you mentioned uh, Jeremy Thompson. Hopefully, you know he steps up. He's going to be going against Tyler Burton, two of the top. Draw guys in the game. Are you a guy of the school that face-off men are important, or is it the ball team around them? Um,
4: I, I'm kind of. I would be if there was A, B, and C, I'd say C. Yeah, <laughs> all of the above. I think. I think. Oh well, no, I think that face-offs are important, but they're not as crucial as some make them out to be and, gotcha. and you know depends on the time of the game you know i've seen teams in championships if we go back years to i think buffalo in 08 when they beat us when i was in portland when they beat us in the final i think they had about a 28 face-off win percentage right. that year so it's for us i mean we have a good guy um, yeah. we have a good we have good face-off teams we use two groups um they're good um but don't get scored on because they're yeah. absolute backbreakers. So whether you've just scored or whether you've been scored against, they're they're basically two goal swings. So you want to stay away from that. And and I think from you know our perspective in Calgary's big improvement this year, I think Tur- Burton's gotten really good and and Zach so, Courier has been sure, a- yeah
1: yeah yeah. Absolutely.
4: So I mean you know for them that's they're I really believe at watching Burton that he's gotten better he's got a real hard clamp now and he's, and he's, and he's able to put the ball in places that, that he, he wants to. And then, and quite often it's to, to that could, yeah, so. yeah. but you know what, we've got good guys. And like I said, you know, well we can, we've got kind of two different ways to approach it. We can be super aggressive or we can be conservative and, and that, and we, we tend to kind of fall somewhere in between most times. And we just really don't want to get scored on. And again, there's crucial times in the game when you absolutely need the ball, but They're rare, so, you know, there's always face-offs, you know, because there's always going to be goals and starts of quarters and starts of games and that. So, um, you know, but our thing is, you know, because they're backbreakers, we just try not to Mm -hmm. get scored on.
0: That's Saskatchewan Rush general manager and head coach Derek Keenan. A great point that he makes up um, about face-offs, and it's kind of how I feel. I I think if you can have a guy that can win loose balls and – Get you extra possessions off of draws, that's huge. And when Andy McNamara and I talked uh, for the NLL's playoff X-Factor report uh, that just went live on Tuesday, um, one of his X-Factors was Jake Withers just due to the fact that he can get you so many possessions. And I agreed with him, and I said, the way you stop Jake Withers' effectiveness, he can win all the loose balls you want. However, if he's able to win a loose ball and go down and score a big goal and get the fans pumped up, that's even worse. And that's the point Derek Keenan was trying to make. That, you know what, if Burton can win it cleanly, hard clamp, flip it right back to Courier, that's great. What they can't do is allow Courier or Burton to take that ball right to the rack and score a goal because it can be demoralizing for the team to get scored on, and it's a huge momentum builder for the team that scored because you're getting grit grinder type goals. And that's the, what face-off guys bring is that little boost of energy. Think back to any goal that Jeff Snyder scored off of a faceoff and the massive fist pump that he always threw and the energy that it brought to his team once he scored that goal. Watch any faceoff guy. When they score, it lifts their team up like another 15%. So for teams that are going up against very talented draw guys, just don't let them score. It's like when teams would play John Grant, Jr., And the defense to play John Grant Jr. was, hey, he's going to get five or six. Don't let the other guys get five or six. And that's the way you have to think about it. Jake Withers, Tyler Burton, Jeremy Thompson, Jordan Magtosh, whoever you want to look at it. If the guy is going to be constantly winning draws, that's fine. Just don't let that draw immediately lead to a goal. And that's going to be a big task for all four. Defenses as all four teams off the faceoff can score goals. And it will be a fantastic matchup in both divisional semifinals. Again, they get going this weekend. First game, Saturday night, deep in the heart of Georgia. And then game two, Sunday, in the heart of the Prairies in a little town called Toontown. Games will be on NLL TV as well as Twitter. Brendan Glasheen and Brian Shanahan will have the calls. Finally, before we get out of here, the immediacy of when the National Lacrosse League season ends is such a hard and fast period at the end of a sentence. There's just nowhere else to go. It's not like other pro sports where you have the quote-unquote locker clean-out day and immediate day uh, the day after. Or there's a couple days where you can spend around town uh, milling a boat, just relaxing. It is game over. A few hours later, you're on a plane and you're heading back. And the season is done. And it's such an immediacy that It's almost depress-inducing because you're so used to being on a plane every weekend and you're so used to being around the group of guys every weekend for 48 hours and just the bond that you build and the relationships that you build and the dependence you have on that familiarity every weekend. And I just found myself sitting on the bus from the rental car shuttle drop off all the way to the Denver International Airport, just thinking that it's over and it's done with. And me as a broadcaster, it's a completely different feeling than the one that Chris Wardle was having as he sat right beside me. And again, having been there, I know that feeling and it sucks there is no worse feeling than losing your last game of the year. And when you lose it in heartbreaking fashion, it makes it that much harder of a pill to swallow. And in the National Lacrosse League, when guys don't live generally in the towns that they play in and so many guys are flying in and out, that sometimes it just feels like another day. But when you don't have it to go back to, it is a huge void. And I wish that there was the time on Sunday when all the Mammoth guys you know, were together in that locker room and you could go around and you could shake each guy's hand and you could thank him and you could talk to him and you could reminisce. But Saturday night, that's just not the place for it. And sure, you can go around and you can shake guy's hand. You can, you know, say great year and give him a pat and all that. But when it's your teammates and you won't see him again for six months, it's different. And so for all the guys in the Mammoth, thank you for letting me into your inner circle all year long. And to Dan Carey, for keeping me on board, and for Pat Coyle and the coaching staff for letting me be involved in their zany road trip antics. It's an incredible honor to be a part of that group. And it's a crazy feeling not to think that this team's not going to Saskatchewan this weekend, and they're not going to play for a chance to host the NLL Cup. And that now my focus has to turn to the Victoria Shamrocks in the Western Lacrosse Association. And that's how immediate it is. You literally go from one season to the next. Wouldn't surprise me if Chris Wardle's at Shamrock practice on Mondays. It's just a crazy full circle that is the lacrosse season. And there really is no downtime. And with the NLL season getting longer... The run-in between the seasons is going to get shorter. And the immediacy is going to get more matter-of-fact. And so now I'm resorted to being a fan. And I'm going to enjoy two wonderful lacrosse games between four very talented lacrosse teams. And I'm going to enjoy the finals. And I hope it's a best of three. It goes right down to the end. And I hope that we are all treated to some fantastic lacrosse over the final month or so. Enjoy all the games on NLL TV. Enjoy the games on Twitter. And enjoy the road to the NLL Cup, because I'll be enjoying it with you as well. Enjoy the games, everybody. Thanks to Kurt Miloski and to Derek Keenan. Pick your favorites. We are down to four. Until next week, be excellent to each other.